I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter. We have recently finished up the book of Philippians, and this morning we're beginning in 1 Peter. So if you are new with us this morning, you're right where you need to be as we begin this book, and I hope you'll be with us next week and weeks after that as we continue to work our way through this wonderful epistle of 1 Peter. As we begin in 1 Peter, let me begin by reading the first verse here where Peter begins his letter, and he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Who are chosen. In the Christian life, the the moment that we get saved, we begin to go through a radical life change and we begin to put away sins. Big sins. The obvious sins. Sins like lying and cheating and cursing and other immoral behavior. But sadly, this is the place where many Christians stop. They stop there and they think that they've cleaned up their life enough and they don't see the need to keep growing in Christ's likeness. One author tells a story about cleaning up a farm that he had bought, and he says this, Some years ago, when my wife and I bought the old abandoned New Hampshire farm we now call Peace Lodge, we found the site where we wished to build our country home strewn with rocks and boulders. It was going to take a lot of hard work to clear it all out. The first phase of the clearing process was easy. The big boulders went fast. And when they were gone, we began to see that there were a lot of smaller rocks that had to go too. But when we had cleared the site of the boulders and the rocks, we noticed all of the stones and pebbles we had not seen before. This was much harder, more tedious work. But we stuck to it And there came the day when the soil was ready for planting grass. This morning we're embarking on a study of 1 Peter, a book that is not only theological but also very practical for us. It's a very practical book because we're going to be learning from a man who will show us what it means to grow in Christ-likeness. We're going to learn from a man who had the big boulders removed in his life, but who needed to learn from Christ and have those pebbles removed. You see, oftentimes we look for examples in Scripture of people that we can model our lives after. We desire to have examples, models in our life. And we look at Christ, and rightfully so. We should look to Christ. But then we begin to think, well, he was perfect. I'm not perfect. Nowhere near perfect. And so it's hard for us to relate. Then we look at someone who is more like us. A sinner. 
a sinner who is like us. And the Apostle Paul then comes to our mind because he wrote almost half of the New Testament books. But even with Paul, we can think, I can never reach that man's level, right? I mean, even though he says he's the chief of sinners, many of us look at his life and we think he's the chief of saints, right? (laughs) With all that the Apostle Paul did. It can be hard at times to identify with Paul because of all that the Lord did through him and how the Lord used him in such mighty ways. But we thank God that Paul is not the only example. God has given us other examples. We have other examples like Timothy and and Titus and even John, the Apostle John. But I think all of us can say that we're thankful for a man like Peter. For a man like Peter, a man who had a lot to learn in his walk with Christ. A man who had the big boulders cleared out in his life, but who needed the smaller rocks and the pebbles to be cleared out. A man who needed to learn a lot of lessons from his master and be changed by him. That's something that all of us can relate to. Because all of us need to continue to be changed by Christ, right? We're all in that process. And Peter, we see a man who is clearly not perfect. He had his faults. He had his rough edges. In fact, he was identified as being a mouthpiece for Satan at one point. Not a good thing. Get behind me, Satan. He even denied Jesus at one point. And all of us can relate to that, right? We've been afraid to speak up for Christ. We can identify with Peter. And so it's helpful for us as we begin this letter to see who Peter was and what he learned and how he was changed by Christ. That will also help us to understand where Peter's coming from as he's writing this letter to these believers who are spread abroad. Now, why was Peter writing this letter? Let me give you a little bit of background. Peter is writing this letter sometime between 64 and 65 A.D. At the time that Peter's writing this letter, Nero was the emperor of Rome, and Nero was said to have a desire to build. He loved to build things. But in order to build, he had to first destroy So, Nero has Rome destroyed by fire so that he could rebuild it himself. When the city of Rome was set on fire, it was believed by the Romans that Nero was to blame. They began to become hostile toward him. The Romans are obviously very upset about the fires that destroyed their homes and their religious temples, and even killed some of the people there in Rome. The the people began to resent Nero, and he knew of their resentment toward him, so he had to redirect their hatred of him. 
and cast the blame on someone else. Who did he redirect it at? The Christians. The Christians. Nero blamed the Christians for the fires because he knew that the Romans already hated Christians because of their association with Jews. And their opposition toward the Roman culture. The Roman culture which was filled with idolatry and the worship of all kinds of pagan deities. And rightfully so, the Christians would be in opposition of that, right? In opposition of worshiping pagan deities. So, Nero spreads word that it was the Christians who set the fires and the people of Rome then begin to persecute the Christians. And this persecution then spreads across the Roman Empire. Peter's in Rome while he's writing this letter, as we see in chapter 5 and verse 13, where he says that he's writing from Babylon. Babylon, which most commentators believe to be an alias for Rome. It's an alias for Rome. Why would Peter say that he's writing from Babylon? Well, he understands and knows the persecution of Christians, right? So is he going to tell them where he's writing from? Tell them where he's at? He's not going to, right? Because he wants to guard and protect not only himself, but all the other Christians who are there in Rome. So he uses this alias of Babylon. And he tells them he's writing from there. So Peter is writing from Rome and in chapter 1, in verse 1, he tells us that he's writing to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who were these people? Well, these were believers, probably mostly Gentile converts, who were under persecution for being Christians. They're in Asia, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. That was the area that they lived in. And Peter's writing this letter to teach them how they are to live in the midst of persecution from the world. See, this is a very relevant book for us today, right? Persecution is coming, church. It's coming. We have to be ready. And Peter's writing this letter to them to know how they are to live in the midst of persecution. He writes to them to encourage them and to help them understand and to know that they should not lose hope. Don't lose hope in the midst of your persecution because we know and understand that people will begin to lose hope when they're under the pressures, the trials of persecution. So Peter's writing to encourage them and to tell them, don't lose hope. Now, Peter is writing this letter as a pastor. He's writing this letter as a pastor, or as he refers to himself in chapter 5 and verse 1, as a fellow elder. He calls himself a fellow elder. But Peter did not begin his Christian life with the maturity of an elder of a church. He didn't begin that way. In fact, as we're going to see, he had a rough road to get to where he was at at the time that he's writing this letter. There are a lot of lessons that Peter needed to learn along the way in order to be the man that God called him to be. 
He had many failures. He also had many triumphant moments in his life. But all of this happened because of the man who trained him and changed him. What I want to do here this morning is I want to walk this road with you to see how Peter went from being Simon, the son of John, to being Peter, an apostle of Christ and a fellow elder in the church. And what we're going to see here this morning is three major changes in Peter's life in which he goes from being one thing to another because of Christ's sanctifying work in his life. We're going to see three major changes. So the first change that we're going to see here is what we will call from Simon to Peter. From Simon to Peter. Now take your Bibles and turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to be working our way through a few scriptures here this morning. If you go to John chapter 1, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we see here in John chapter 1 where the ministry of John the Baptist is fading. It's fading away and the ministry of Christ is ramping up. This is where John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. And so his ministry is decreasing, and the ministry of Christ is increasing. And in John chapter 1, notice what it says there in verse 40. Verse 40 says this, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This here is the first interaction that Peter has with Christ. And imagine this. Your brother comes to tell you that he found the Messiah. The one in whom Israel has been waiting for. For all of these years, they've been waiting for the Messiah to come. And he comes and tells you, I've found the Messiah. And he takes you then to meet the Messiah. And when you meet him, face to face, you meet the Messiah, and he looks at you, and he gives you another name. In fact, he gives him a nickname. You've never met this guy before. But he looks at you and says, you are who you are, but you're going to be called something else. Nice to meet you. That's the first interaction with Jesus and Peter. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas or Peter. Now up to this point, Peter has been known as Simon, the son of John. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 16, 17, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah. Which is another way of saying Simon, the son of John. Bar in Aramaic means son of. Son of Jonah or son of John. And so up to this point in his life, he has been Simon, the son of John. John, but Jesus tells him that his name is going to be Cephas, that he's going to call him Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock, 
what that name means. Cephas means rock. And in Greek, it's the name Peter. Peter means rock. And when he met Jesus that day, Jesus gave him this nickname, Peter or rock. Luke lists out the apostles' names in Luke 6.14 and he says, Simon, whom he, Jesus, also named Peter. Peter didn't lose the name Simon, but he took on the nickname Peter, which would eventually be what he would be known by. He would be known by the name Peter. We do that with kids today, right? We give them a nickname, and that nickname then sticks their whole life. In fact, Clemson's head coach, football head coach, is Dabo Sweeney. His first name is Dabo. His real name is actually William But when he was born, his older brother, who was about a year older than him, couldn't pronounce his name, but would just call him that boy. But how he uh, enunciated it was Dabo. And so it stuck. And now today you have a football coach on national TV who goes by a nickname that his little brother gave him when he was just a boy, Dabo. It's a nickname. And that was Peter. Peter was given a nickname that would eventually stick. But why did Peter's nickname stick? It stuck because that's who he would become. Jesus gave him the nickname Rock, and he would eventually become a rock. What's interesting is that Peter's name is mentioned more than any other name in the Gospels except for Jesus. More than any other name in the Gospel accounts is the name Peter. But even though Jesus gives Simon his nickname Peter, there are still times when Jesus calls him Simon. And oftentimes when Jesus called him Simon was when he needed some kind of rebuke or correction. For example, when the disciples fell asleep in the garden, when Jesus had told them to pray, Mark 14, 37 tells us, and he, Jesus, came and found them, the disciples, sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? He's known him for three years. This is three years into his ministry and he still calls him Simon. Luke 22, after the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest, Jesus says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have what? Prayed for you. I've prayed for you. John 21, after Peter had denied Jesus, and Jesus restores Peter to ministry, he asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon needed some correction. He needed some rebuke in order to make him into the rock that Christ had called him to be. Simon eventually became that rock. He became Peter. In fact, we even see The beginning of 1 Peter where he even introduces himself, not as Simon, but as as Peter. 
Peter. But it took some time for the Lord to change him and to make him into the man whom he was chosen to be. As one commentator says, Jesus changed Simon's name, it appears, because he wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder to him about who he should be. You will be called Rock. And remember that every time I call you Peter, it's a reminder of who I have called you to be. Don't act like Simon. You be Peter. You be that rock. When he was first called by Christ, he was Simon, the son of John, but he would be changed by Christ to be Peter, the rock in whom he was supposed to be. And so we see first that he changed from Simon to Peter. Second, he is changed from a fisherman to a follower. Peter is changed from a fisherman to a follower. Now, Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen. That was their duty. That was their job. Their father had a fishing business and they were heirs to this family fishing business. They were fishermen. And what we read earlier in John chapter 1 was not the time when Peter actually became a permanent follower of Jesus. That encounter there in John chapter 1 and verse 40 is not the time when Peter actually became a permanent follower of Jesus. Back in John chapter 1, that was just Peter's introduction to Jesus where he and his brother Andrew began following Jesus for a little while, but then they went back to being fishermen. They went back to their occupation. They became fishermen. How do we know? Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, But now is when Jesus calls these men to come and to follow Him permanently. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. Notice what it says there. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter. You see that? He's already called Peter. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now remember, back in John chapter 1, Andrew had to go and get Peter and bring him to Jesus, right? He's got to go and get him and tell him, we found the Messiah. But we see here that Andrew and Peter are together. As Jesus sees these two brothers, he sees them together. Why? Because they had followed Jesus for a little while, but then they had gone back to fishing. Back to their occupation. In fact, some commentators believe that they may have returned to their fishing business after John the Baptist had been arrested because we know that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist and possibly even Peter was a disciple of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist gets arrested and so they've got no one else to follow and so they go back to their fishing business. 
But here in Matthew chapter 4, we see Peter is fishing. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left their business behind. They left it all there and followed after Christ. The fishing business is over and they're now permanent disciples of Jesus. They're following him. Jesus comes and changes Peter from a fisherman to a follower of himself. The old life is dead and the new life has begun. And Peter needed to recognize that. In fact, Peter didn't learn it this time. Although Peter became a disciple and followed Jesus, there was another time later on in his life when he tried to go back to being a fisherman. In fact, let me show you. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, if you've been going through our daily reading schedule. We read this a few days ago. And in John chapter 21, this here is after the death and the resurrection of Christ. And Christ has already appeared to many during this time. But notice what it says in verse 1 of John 21. John tells us this, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, notice what he says, I am going fishing. They the followers of Peter, these disciples, they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught what? Nothing. Nothing. He goes back to, to fishing. Peter had become a disciple of Christ and had followed him for three years in his ministry and seen all these things that are going on in his life. In fact, back in chapter 20 and verse 21, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. They had already been commissioned as apostles to be sent out. But what does Peter do? He goes back to fishing goes back to fishing what did jesus tell him three years earlier when he first called him to be a permanent disciple he said i'll make you fisher of what men not a fish leave the fish alone you're done with the fish i'm calling you to be a fisher of men in fact jesus has already sent them but Peter wants to go back to his old life of fishing. And what did they catch when he goes back to his old life of fishing? How much did they catch? They caught nothing. Nothing. Why did they catch nothing? I'll tell you why they didn't catch anything. Because God made sure that no fish swam into that net. God diverted all of them. None of the fish in the sea were going to swim to that net. Why? 
because Peter had been called to be a follower of Christ, not a fisher of fish. The old life of fishing was over. It was done, Peter. Don't go back. Christ had changed this man and He called him to be a follower of Himself. And Peter needed to learn that lesson. And he learned it. Did Peter learn it? He did. And he became a fisher of men. And on the first day that he preached his first sermon, 3,000 souls were saved. He became a fisher of men. So not only was Peter changed from Simon to Peter and from a fisherman to a follower of Christ, but third, he was changed from a learner to a leader. Peter was changed from a learner to a leader. You see, although Peter did mess up a lot, he was also a great learner. Peter was a great learner. And in 1 Peter, we see many of the lessons that Peter had learned. For example, Peter learned from Christ to submit to authority. Remember in Matthew 17 where Jesus and Peter are are talking about paying taxes and Jesus tells Peter to go and catch a fish and when you catch the fish, you open its mouth and there will be a coin in there? What is Jesus teaching Peter there? Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes because you're under the government. You're under a human institution in which God has established and you're under that authority and you must submit to them. The only time you're allowed to disobey the government is when they are telling you to disobey God. But other than that, as followers of Christ, we're called to submit. We're called to submit to the authorities that are over us. We're called to obey the government. And listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.13. He says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Submit to him. He goes on, in fact, in verse 17 of 1 Peter 2, where Peter says this, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor the king. You're called to submit to the government. Jesus taught him that back in Matthew 17, and we see Peter writing that in 1 Peter 2. Did Peter learn his lesson? He did. He learned it. He also learned about persecution and suffering from Christ. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 20. He says this, Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. What's Jesus teaching Peter and the apostles? You're going to be what? Persecuted. You'll be persecuted. Just get ready. Slave's not greater than his master. Did they persecute the master? They did. They took him to a cross. Don't think that we're better than our master. You will be persecuted. 
Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Don't be surprised at the suffering that you're going to go through for the sake of Christ. Don't be surprised at persecution. Peter learned that from Christ. Jesus said, you will be persecuted. Peter then tells his readers, these aliens, these believers, don't be surprised at the persecution that comes. Did Peter learn his lesson? He did. Peter also learned about humility. Matthew 18.1, it says this, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.5. He says this, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Did Peter learn his lesson? He did. He learned about humility from Christ. And then he wrote in his letter about the things that he learned. Peter was a great learner. But one of the things that we see and that we know about Peter is that he had a big mouth. The guy had a big mouth. He didn't know when to shut it. He liked to open it. He wasn't afraid to speak. And sometimes his big mouth got him in trouble. Like, get behind me, Satan. But one of the things about Peter that was commendable is that he asked a lot of questions. Peter asked a lot of questions because he was a learner. He loved to learn. And he became a great leader because he was such a great learner. Now, he didn't only learn through asking questions, but he also learned through experience. Peter learned a lot of lessons through experience. Mark tells us in Mark 14.66 that Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times. The slave girl comes up to Peter while he's warming by the fire and says that Peter was with Jesus. And what does Peter say? He says this, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. In fact, even the third time that Peter is confronted, he begins cursing. I don't know this man. Denies Jesus. Three times that night, Peter denied Christ his Lord and his Master, the one who called him and said, come and follow me. He denied him. But after the third time, the rooster crowed and Jesus turned 
and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that? You've just denied your Lord and Master three times. The rooster crows and you realize what you've done and he turns and he looks at you. He pierces you. Peter learned something that night. What was Peter's response? What did he do? He went out and wept. He sobbed. Because he understood what he had done. See, Peter learned the weakness of his own flesh that night. He learned that on his own, he was nothing. One commentator said, his brash overconfidence had not given him the strength to meet this temptation. He had boasted too much, prayed too little, acted too fast, and followed too far. He learned something that night through his experience. But the amazing thing is that Christ was not done with Peter. He wasn't done with Peter. In John 21, after Peter had gone fishing and failed at that, he had an encounter with Christ and would restore him to his calling. In fact, look at John chapter 21 and verse 15. Notice this encounter that Jesus has with Peter. In John 21, verse 15, it says this, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now what's he saying here? Do you love me more than these disciples? No, that's not what he's saying. Do you love me more than these? What had he just been doing? Fishing. Do you love me more than than all this stuff? Than your inheritance? The family business. Do you love me more than all of these? All of this stuff? This future that you will have a successful business in fishing? Do you love me more? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Look at Peter's response. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You see, Jesus commissioned Peter to be a leader in the church. And all this time, our Lord had been teaching Peter and changing Peter into the man that he was called to be. Yes, Peter had his failures, but it's now time for him to go out and be a leader And be a rock in the foundation of the church. In fact, in all the lists of the apostles, Peter's name is listed first. 
And it's not listed first just because someone's name has to be first, and so it just happens to be Peter. It's not why it's listed first. In fact, in Matthew 10, in verse 2, we read this. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. And the Greek word there for first is the word protos. And it means, or it doesn't mean first in a list, but it speaks to the chief or the leader of the group. That here is the leader. Who's the leader of the group? Simon, Peter. He's the leader. Peter was the leader. In Acts 1.15, after the ascension of Christ, it was Peter who stood up in the midst of the 120 brethren who were gathered together and told them that they needed to select a replacement for Judas. It was Peter who did that. It was Peter in Acts 2 who on the day of Pentecost began to preach the first sermon in the church where 3,000 souls are saved. Peter's the first preacher. It was Peter in Acts 3 who stood up and preached again. And it tells us in Acts 4 that 5,000 men were then saved. That's just the men. There were women and children there too. 5,000 were saved. It was Peter in Acts 4 who was arrested and stood before the rulers and the elders and the scribes in Jerusalem and preached Christ and told them that there is salvation in no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. It was Peter and John in Acts 4.20 who said that they cannot stop speaking about Christ. It was Peter And the apostles in Acts 5.29 who after being told to stop preaching Christ said, we must obey God rather than men. Did Peter become a leader in the church? He did. Did he become that rock that Jesus called him to be? He did. Backed over in 1 Peter 1.5, Peter identifies himself as a fellow elder. 1 Peter 5.1, Peter says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Did Peter learn what it meant to be a leader in the church? He did. He did. And he became a leader. But it took some learning and some changing in his life from Christ before he was ready to go and lead the church. And so we see that he was changed from Simon to Peter, from a fisherman to a follower from a learner to a leader. You see, Peter became that rock that Christ had called him to be. But how did he do this? How did Peter do this? How did Peter become such a rock in the foundation of the church? Was it because of his own strength or his own doing? Why was it Peter? Why did Peter become this rock? I'll tell you why Peter became a rock. In fact, Peter tells us why he became a rock. Turn back over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
1 Peter 1. Verse 1. We read this earlier. Peter opens his letter and he says this. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are what? Chosen. Chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to do what? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Why did Peter become a rock? Because Peter was chosen for this. Peter was chosen for this. Because God had chosen him and called him and then changed him so that he would be whom God called him to be. In fact, it's interesting in in John 15 and verse 16 where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You see, in those days, it was always the disciple who would choose the rabbi, the teacher. A man would become a rabbi or a teacher, and as he would teach, there would be the disciples who would come to him and say, I would like to follow you. But it wasn't that way with Jesus and his disciples. What does Jesus say? You didn't choose me. I chose you. You see, the doctrine of election is very practical, church. It's very practical. And Peter knows this. One author says it this way, the biblical doctrine of election can be made to appear cold and abstract, remote from everyday living, but it is nothing of the sort. As we think of our discipleship, it fills us with an abiding peace. For it reminds us that our commitment to Christ was God's idea long before it was ours. What He has decreed, He is responsible for carrying out. It's very practical. Peter understood this. Peter knew he had been chosen by God from before the foundation of the world to go out and do what God had called him to do. Peter was a man who was chosen by Christ, changed by Christ, shaped by Christ, and used by Christ. Christ had to get rid of all of the small rocks and the pebbles in his life so that he might be used as a rock in this dark world. And Peter knows the same thing to be true about the readers of his letter. You see, Peter knows the same thing is true about you and I. We're not here because of something great that we have done. We're here because God has called us. He has chosen us to be His. On this Father's Day, as we think about Father's Day, you didn't choose Him, He chose you from before the foundation of the world. 
And he's called you to be his own. And as you submit your life to him, he will change you and make you to be the man or the woman that he's called you to be for his glory. As we begin this study of 1 Peter, my prayer is that this letter by God's Spirit would change us, that it would shape us as those who have been chosen by God so that we can be used by Christ just as Peter was during these dark days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of this man, Peter. This man who is far from perfect, but this man who submitted his life fully and completely to you. This man who was chosen by you from before the foundation of the world. And Lord, as we see what Peter is writing to, those that will read this letter, he is writing to those who were chosen just like he was. Who were called just like he was. And whom he encourages to be used by Christ in the dark days and the persecution that they were under. Father, we know that you have chosen us, that you have called us, that you by your spirit and by your word change us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to that calling to which you have called us that we would be used by you in these dark days that we are in. Lord, you know. You know the days that we are in. The wickedness that is all around us. The immorality that is all around us. The lies, the deception. All of these wicked acts that are being promoted and celebrated. Father, we know that it breaks your heart. We know that you hate sin. Father, I pray that you would help us to be salt and light in this world, that you would use us as those who would be like Peter did and stand up boldly and proclaim the gospel, the truth. Lord, we know that persecution came upon him, and we know that persecution will come upon us when we speak the truth. Lord, help us not to be like Peter and deny you, but to be the Peter who was bold and said we must obey God rather than man. Father, change us and use us all for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.